Thank you, Sarah. So I may as well get up while Jeff's going round. <laughs> I'll do the kind of free bit. Welcome. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> we're in the presence. Welcome. <laughs> Is that better? Thank you, Vicky. Can, can, we, can we try this again? Welcome. Yeah. If, thank you. I, it's, you know, I'm not wanting you to kind of cheer or applaud me, you know, but hey, just a little bit of, of response is good. If it's your first week here this morning, then fantastic. Great to have you here. Could you just take the edge off that for us, Neil? Or, oh, sorry, is it Nathan or Neil? I think it's Neil doing it, isn't it? Just take the edge off it because I'm loud and I like to get right to the edge of the stage and it's only going to feed back as I do. Um, and then, yeah, so if it's your first time here, welcome. Great to have you here. Fantastic. Hope you enjoy it. If you've not been for a while and it's your first week back, then welcome to you too. Because this, yeah, it probably feels like coming home as well, if that's you as well. Have you heard the, um, the House Fire song, Feels Like Coming Home? So good, in it? So, so good. As you said it, I've thought to myself, I wonder if she's thinking of that. Um, okay, so this morning, I want to talk to you about one of the most important aspects of your life as a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, one of the most important aspects of your life. Uh, before I do, a couple of things I've got to kind of go through and mention, and it's around COVID-19, but it's not one of these like kind of like, you know, talks about it of fire exits are here, 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 can you all do this, that, and the other. It's just, I, I think, I've got some concerns, okay? It's not that I don't believe that there is a problem with COVID-19. There is clearly a problem. Yeah. Let's, get, let's be honest about that. There is clearly a problem. People have clearly died, just as they have done with many other illnesses. And just like any other illness, there is a problem around COVID-19. Okay? So that is a, is, a, is a concern, and it is an issue, and it is something that we need to face up to and not just hide or bury our heads in the sand around. The, the, the issue that I've got, if you like, is around, and for anyone who's been coming to this church for a while, for years in fact, you will know we don't tend to do politics. When elections come along, we're not one of these churches that say you should vote this way or you should vote that way. In fact, if anything, what we would tend to say is you should vote with your conscience. Your conscience is what should, should decide which way you vote. You know, do your own research, check into it, and then go with your own conscience. If your conscience is telling you to vote a certain way, go with that. I feel it would be wrong for me or any church, to be honest, to say to go against that. Might want to highlight some issues and things like that. That might be a good thing to do. But typically, we, you know, we would say, hey, do some research, vote with your conscience, go down that route. The concern I've got is it's not around the fact that we need to do some things. I just think that some of the measures that are being brought into place are more dangerous than the virus itself. And I, I have to go out there and say that. And, and I'll, I'll give you some examples, okay? It, the, in fact, there's a famous story. Some of you may have heard this story. There's a famous story about a guy. I've got his name, in fact. Did you pass me my phone, Vic? Sorry, I should have brought this up. Just... Oh, you're. 
I was, I was hoping for a little bit more speed than that. There's a, a famous guy, I think it was called Clint was his name. Um, and in fact, I'll just tell the story. He worked on the, the railroad in America many, many years ago. And it was the middle of summer, height of summer, and he was, there were some refrigerated rail carts, and he was working on one of those. Be, for some reason, th- there is a reason for it, forget what it is, they all decided to clock off an hour early. The supervisor said, hey, everyone's going to clock off an hour early. And by chance, this guy got locked in a refrigerated rail cart overnight. Anyone heard this story before? Yeah, you know about this one? And basically, cut a long story short, the guy starts kind of getting cold and shivering. And, and he's banging on the door, trying to get people's attention, can't get anyone's attention, can't get hold of anyone. And he's getting more and more worried and more and more scared. As time, basically, they find him the next morning, he's frozen to death. And he's left a note. I think, I might be wrong on this, I think he wrote it in his own blood. And, and it's kind of going on like this of, it's getting colder, it's getting colder, I'm worried, I want to let my wife and children know. Horrific story, really, really bad. Until you discover that actually the rail car, well, the, the refrigerated car wasn't turned on. He died of fear. He literally died of fear. The temperature in the rail car was five degrees not enough to kill anyone. And the autopsy that was done said he died of too cold, like hypothermia, that's the word I'm looking for. He died of hypothermia. There was another uh, a, a sad, sad thing I read recently. Anyone read about the, the senior police officer who, who killed himself uh, a few weeks back? I think, no, I think it was in the middle of lockdown. He started suffering with the symptoms of COVID, and apparently they had some kind of uh, outhouse that he went to live in to protect his wife and his children, and they were Zooming and trying to, you know, do meetings and keep in touch. Anyway, this guy, his mental health deteriorated worse and worse and worse over the days until, in the end, he took his own life. He's a senior police officer with a wife and children. COVID didn't take him. He died of fear. This guy died of fear. My concern is around the, the, the things, the measures that are being brought in are being brought in. Did you, anyone hear the debate about the rule of six in, in the House of Commons? I'm not sure how because there wasn't one. There was no debate. Are you aware of this? There was no debate over the rule of six in the House of Commons. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't talked about in public. This was done in a secret room in the Cabinet Office. There's, some, there's been some leaked things that you may have heard about, about what happened in it, but they were leaked. We don't know whether they're true or not because it was done in a private room in secret. Rules and measures are being put in place in secret in private rooms. Now, I don't have an issue with that when it comes to companies like Tesco and Asda and companies like that. I expect them to to plot and make their plans in private because, you know, that's what they do. I've not got a problem with that whatsoever. But when it's a government that are imposing laws... I expect them to be done with in openness and honesty, with transparency and integrity so that I can see what's going on. When I've got members of, of our congregation phoning me up scared saying, am I allowed to come to church tomorrow? Am I allowed to come to church tomorrow? There is a problem. There is a problem and it, we are in dangerous 
dangerous territory. And I'll tell you why, and and you may think I'm having a little bit of a rant, and I'm not going to go on about this for much longer, but I do think it needs addressing. The, the, The issue is that this is being done by fear. Our nation and, and nations around the world are being placed in fear. In fear. Now, there are many diseases that any one of us could die of. You could drive home today, and I think it's 4,000 people a year die on the roads. 4,000 people a year die on our roads. When you're driving along at 70 miles an hour and there's a car coming in the opposite direction and there's a, well, 60 actually if there's only a thin white painted line, but there's a thin white painted line separating you from that car coming the other way and you're both doing 60 miles an hour. If that car veered, lost control, had a a cardiac arrest as he was driving and you had a head-on collision, that would kill you. That would be one of the most terrifying experiences. You or your family, we put our kids in our cars and do that. Yeah? We put our kids, I put my kids in the back of the car. I'm not reckless, I put a seatbelt on. I'm not, rec- I'm not a reckless person. I take safety measures. But my concern is over the fear that is being instilled in the population. And history tells us that when a government can give you something that you need to be scared of, an enemy, and they can overplay that and manipulate it to use it to their own measures, that is dangerous, dangerous territory. I am putting out a warning to be aware. Be alert. Yeah, be alert. As they said, be alert. But be alert about what is going on in secret rooms. And if you think, oh, well, come on. Right, the Germans, okay? I know most of us are English in this room, British, should I say British in this room, right? Okay, so we, you know, British nation, over the decades, we've liked to have a poke at the Germans and call them this and call them that. That's been a bit of a historic thing, right? But the German people are a normal nation just like us. Let's be honest about it. They are just another nation just like us. They may have done some terrible things, but history would tell us our nation's done some terrible things, as have pretty much every nation have done some terrible things in history. The German people are no different to us. They are human beings. They have eyes and ears and legs and arms. They are a normal nation. Yet Hitler, by by creating an issue, an enemy, namely the Jewish people, caused a nation to do the most horrific, terrible, heinous acts through fear and manipulation by overstating and overplaying an enemy and making a bigger issue over an enemy than there ever, ever was. Wake up, guys. Please, wake up. We are in dangerous, dangerous times. We're being ruled by threat and fear, and that is dangerous territory to be in. Listen, I, when, when I reach my 80s, God willing, okay, I, I, I think I will be taking sensible cautions, you know, and, and being careful, no problem whatsoever with that, and I think that's a sensible thing, and, and one thing that's really important is I can't stand here and put you in fear that you've got to all be bold and be reckless and, and, you know, and take silly risks with your lives. If, please do not think that's what I'm saying up here in any way, shape, or form. We should all be sensible. I would encourage you not to smoke. 
because the chances are that could cause cancer. So I would encourage you not to do that. I would encourage you not to be overweight. That's not to shame anyone or make anyone feel bad or guilty. I, I try and watch my own weight. I'm doing an average job on it. But I would encourage you to watch your, your weight as well because the risks are that that is as bad as smoking. That's the evidence. That's what it tells us. That's what the statistics tell us, okay? So we need to be sensible. But I, I think we should all, and I think the older generation have earned the right to make their own decisions over what they do with their lives. And if they end up putting a strain on the NHS, then hey, they've spent 60 years paying for the flipping NHS, and I think they've got every right to use it when they need it. So if, if our NHS is under strain, and, and because some people who are older go out and they put themselves at a slightly higher risk, I think they've earned the right, to be quite frank. But hey, that's a little bit of a rant. But there are a couple of other little things that I need to say. One is that the vaccine is a concern. Did anyone read about the vaccine? It is being sold to us as a passport. Did anyone read that? As a good thing, that this is a passport. That if you get the vaccine and you take the vaccine, I'm not saying anyone shouldn't or should, by the way. It's your own choice, matter of conscience, would be my advice on the vaccine. However, the vaccine is being sold as a passport, that if you have it, then you'll be able to go out and buy and sell. It's being sold as something that if you have it, then you'll be able to go out freely and buy and sell. Or flip that on its head if you don't have it. History tells us to be aware couple of other things I think you need to be aware of. Asda, I'm going to read this out actually so I don't get this wrong. Asda was recently forced to withdraw an LGBT educational pack that it was promoting that told children to watch a video and come up with a slogan giving love has no age limits as an example. Come up with a similar slogan. Parents, if you think that, or maybe that was, they meant that innocently, parents who, who ended up with this pack were in no doubt that it promoted paedophilia. If you think that could have been done innocently, then consider this. The pack also told children to read a book, check this out, it's on the Christian Institute, a book called Beyond Magenta, featuring explicit sexual references and a six-year-old boy engaging in sexual activities with other children. These are our children. These are our children. They're being abused. It's wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. A six-year-old boy engaging in sexual activity with other children... As they were promoting this pack. Sorry about that. Am I the only one that thinks that's horrific? I've, I mean, I, I, I've heard some stuff. I've been in education. I know some of the stuff that goes on. I've been in, the, in it. I know what some of the stuff that happens. Guys, we've got to wake up. We are living in dark, dark days. You may not have children. You in this room may not have children. 
They're your children. They're your children. They're our children. We've all got a responsibility to protect them. That is abuse. That is abuse. What that six-year-old boy was a part of that. Who is he? Where is he? Who on earth allowed him to be a part of this thing? Arm yourself with truth. Arm yourself with truth, church. Arm yourself with truth. It is so important in these days because it is so difficult to get hold of. Beware. I, I, I want to I do a little bit of teaching if that's okay. Judge me. Judge me on it. Check it out. Research it. Study it. I'm going to back it up with quite a number of scriptures this morning. I want to talk to you about, as I said at the beginning, one of the most important aspects of our life. Our, our life, your life, your body, your, your, you, who you are, has many different parts. You, you have your physical part, yeah? Your, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your ears, all of that stuff. You've got your brain. Now, your brain is to kind of, to, if you like, is to oversimplify it. So let's not talk about the brain, but let's talk about you and who you are for a moment. So, as if you like, and, and we know now that it's kind of, you know, a lot of this stuff goes on in the brain and that the processes occur in the brain, but you have a number of different parts other than your physical part as well. You have your thinking mind. That's the thing that if I told you to look at that and what is that, you'd say it's a speaker. You'd look at it and your brain would see that and it would say, oh, that's a speaker. That's your mind. You can listen to me and you might be sat there disagreeing with what I'm saying. That's okay. You've got that right to do that. That's your mind that's doing that. You might be agreeing and, and hopefully one or two are thinking, you know, praise God, someone's speaking out and saying something here. Can I get an amen? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. I probably shouldn't have done that. But you've got your flesh as well. You, and you, your mind and your flesh are two parts. They're similar. They're very similar. They're, they're like parts of your mind, if you like. And then the th you've got a third part of your mind called your heart. The Bible talks about it a lot. The Bible refers to all of these parts, by the way. Your mind, the Bible talks about. It talks about your heart. It talks about your flesh. It talks about your soul. But I'm going to group the soul as your, as, as your heart and your mind and your flesh. It also talks about your spirit. So you may have heard of, of you know, having a spirit and stuff like that. The Bible talks about your spirit. It differentiates it between your spirit and the spirit of God. So you've got the spirit. You'll notice if you've seen this, some of you will be aware of this, the, the Bible uses uppercase, capital S for spirit in some areas and lowercase s for spirit in other areas. When it's lowercase s, it's talking about your spirit, the spirit of man. When it's capital S, it's talking about the spirit of God, God's spirit. We as Christians, we as, as, as I don't like calling us Pentecostal believers, because I don't like the badge of Pentecostal, but as spirit-believing believers, we would say that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can have God's Spirit. The Bible tells us that you can have God's Spirit living inside of you. He connects, His Spirit connects with your spirit. 
and communicates with you. I want to talk, focus really on the heart. And I need to talk about the other bits so you can understand the heart and how it works. But the heart, if you like, if you imagine the heart sat here, slightly lower, and then slightly above it, you've got the flesh and you've got the mind. The flesh and the mind, when it talks, the Bible talks about the flesh, particularly in Galatians and Romans, Romans 7, Romans 8, and so on. When Paul's talking about the flesh, he's talking not about this stuff. Some translations translate it differently, and um, they'll talk about kind of like, the, if you like, the, uh, the sinful nature. That's the phrase some translations talk about. But it's effectively, the, the, Greek, the Greek word means the flesh, and what it's talking about is the carnal natures of your mind. That's what that is. The, the, the flesh is your carnal nature, your emotions. And the Bible's very clear about what that is and how that's driven. They can be sexual. And that's not always bad. In, in, in a marriage, that's a good thing. That's okay, that's good. But if you were just constantly, your mind was just always obsessed with that, that would be bad, wouldn't it? That would be wrong. That would be unhelpful and, and, and in, you know, out of balance. But your flesh isn't just that, it's when you take offense, it's when you get annoyed, it's when you get angry, it's when you get territorial, it's when you get all kind of like, you know, offended by someone and wow, he said that and how did he say that and who does he think he is or who does he, she think she is and all of that stuff. Are you with me so far? That's your flesh. It's carnal in nature. I, it, my understanding of it as, I, as I've studied the Bible and learned is really that the flesh is really where the, the fall predominantly occurred. The major, major place where the fall had its most impact. Because the flesh really suddenly just became negatively carnal most of the time. It was negative carnality that really is in the flesh. And when you read the New Testament, the Bible doesn't really paint the flesh in a good light. It's not promoting the flesh as, hey, being in your flesh, being all emotional, being all carnal, being, living your life like that is a good thing. It actually says, no, that's a bad thing. Now, the flesh is very quick to react if I offended you by, maybe I've already offended you in something I've said, there's a good chance of that. wouldn't be the first time I've done that, either from the pulpit or from anywhere else, to be honest. But if I've already offended you, you will have been quick to take offense. You're probably still sat in it now. You're probably still sat in this pit of offense, unless you, you kind of, you got to know yourself because I get offended at times. I get offended by people. And, and so what I will do is I'll kind of like work through that and go, hey, no, stop. Come on, Barry. Get a grip of yourself. Don't be offended. You know, they probably didn't mean it like this or they didn't mean it like that. Or, or I'll go away and think maybe, maybe they've got a point. Maybe they're right. And I'll go and check it out and I'll research it and all of that kind of stuff. All of that is happening in my mind. That's my mind taking over. The mind's a bit slower. It takes its time. It thinks things through. It doesn't just react out of emotion and anger and, and all of those feelings. The mind stops for a moment and thinks it through and works it out and maybe does a bit of research, maybe sits in Laurie's lessons so it can learn a little bit more or Sarah's. And <laughs> so, you've got the, you, so you've got the heart, 
down here. And above it, if you like, I, I mean, this is my interpretation of it. You know, the, the, the flesh and the mind are sat above it. They're not literally sat above it. I'm just doing this as an illustration. But I imagine them as sat above it. And, and then in the deep, and this is right because the Bible does say the heart is deep. So the, the analogy, the metaphor's okay. It's not bad. It's just, you know, it's my metaphor for it. But the, the heart is deep. And, and there's a couple of ways of thinking about the heart. I, and I wish I'd have had time to get a picture up, but I didn't. But you know, and you know, them old-fashioned ships where the captain would be there and he'd have the big old wheel to turn it. And then he'd have this thing at the side and it would say, dead stop, ahead, ahead fast, ahead slow and reverse and all. You know what I'm on about? And he'd turn it and it would have like this gold thing on it and he would turn that handle. And that would go down to an engine room below, wouldn't it? And the guys in the engine room, they would just see dead stop. So their job was to do what the captain said, dead stop. Think of the engine room like the heart. It would just do what the captain said, dead stop, just do it. So imagine the captain of the Titanic. And he says, ahead fast. Because he's under pressure. Because he's got a, he's a, it's a maiden voyage. It's been sold as the best ship ever. It's got to get across the Atlantic in record time. You, you know, there's money issues, you name it, ahead fast. So the guys down there, they just see ahead fast. And they just go. The fact that the captain was heading towards an iceberg, they don't know. They're unaware of that. Because they're blind to that. They're just in the engine room. They're just obeying the orders. They're the guys that make it happen. Your heart is the part of you that makes things happen. And it's, to all intents and purposes, it's blind. It's incredibly clever, but equally it's blind. It trusts you, your mind, to tell it what to do. The problem is your flesh gets involved sometimes as well. And your flesh wants to tell your heart what to do. And we should go and attack that person. We should go and do this. We should go and do that. Sometimes your mind is in control and it's telling the heart to do this, that and the other. But the heart isn't just completely stupid. Because it is clever, but in a specific way. Because it holds your values and your standards and your beliefs. And so when you violate your own values and standards and beliefs, your heart will get annoyed and it will cause tension in your life. You'll feel a stress and an anxiety and a a pressure because you're telling your heart to do something that it can't do. Imagine the the guy's in the engine room and and it knows the maximum speed of of the Titanic is 30 knots. I'm guessing at that. I'm guessing it was around 30 knots. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. Wild guess estimation. I was a math teacher, so I reckon it's probably in the ballpark, but I could be wrong. Imagine it was 30 knots, and the captain says, 40 knots. So the guys in the engine room, they're like, we've got to make it 40 knots. So they're doing that, but they know that this could blow up the engine room. This could destroy the ship, but they just, you know, they're kind of obeying, but they're still giving feedback. They're still saying, this is bad. They're sending messages back up to the captain saying, you're going to destroy the ship here. This is not good. This is not good. Captain might get away with it. Might be the next voyage, he does it again and he gets away with it. Might be the 10th voyage and eventually calamity happens and, and it all goes wrong. And the heart is a little bit stupid like that. It just does as it's told, but it's clever. 
And it's a driving force. And the thing about your heart is a bit like your physical heart. It's not like your physical heart, but I'm going to use your physical heart as a little bit of an example. Your physical heart, right? You've probably not been aware of it until now, today. Probably not thought about it. Unless you jogged here or you ran here really fast or you one of my sons who goes, likes to go to the gym and work out and, 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 and suddenly you feel your heart beating in your chest. Or maybe ever done that when you lie in bed at night and, and you lie in a certain way and you can feel it in, in your kind of ear, the pulse going and you're suddenly aware of your heart. Or, or you get a palpitation in your chest and you feel that and you're suddenly aware of it. But really probably this morning you've not been aware of it because it's just cracking on and, and, and doing Doing this and it's speeding up when it needs to, when you're lifting something or you jog to catch the bus. And most of the time you don't even think that your heart's speeded up. It's doing all of that behind the scenes for you. It's doing that. You're unaware of it. It's just getting on with it because it's clever. And there's a system in there and it does and it works. But there's another metaphor that's equally as good and in some ways better. And that is like a garden. Think of your heart like a garden. So imagine if those of you who've got gardens, right? Imagine you just, and if you've done this, sorry, I'm not aware, I've not, not got anyone in mind. But imagine you just leave your garden and you don't ever do anything with it. Like, where's it going to end up? Right? You, ten years, you don't touch it. You don't go near it. You don't pay anyone to go and do anything. You just leave your garden to its own devices. Some of you are sat there thinking, feeling a little bit guilty now because you know your garden needs a little bit of repair doing on it and maybe you've not been looking at it. It's got some nods. Yeah. Right? Here's the thing. I can guarantee, <laughs> I can guarantee, I've got to preach to do here, but can we, can we talk later, love? Can, you know, can, thank you. <laughs> It's not a preach here. Come on. <laughs> I can guarantee where your garden will go because it can only go one way. Yeah? yeah. Thorns, bristles, yeah. Di- briars, is it? Brambles. Brambles, all that kind of stuff. You know, weeds, nettles. And then, so when you go in your garden, you're going to nettle yourself. You're going to cut yourself on the thorns. It's only going to go one way. It can only go one way. You might have some beautiful plants in there. You might have some lovely roses in there. You might have some nice azaleas in there or, or whatever else you've got in your garden. Azaleas, they're, they're nice azaleas. I know a little bit about plants. I'm not an expert on it, but azaleas are good. They're part of the rhododendron family. You like that? Yeah, like miniature rhododendrons. Anyway, you might have a rhododendron in there. But guess what? It's going to get choked. You won't be able to see it. You won't be able to appreciate it. If you've got an apple tree in there, eventually given enough time, you won't even be able to get the fruit off the apples. They'll be useless because you've not pruned the apple tree. And you won't even be able to get near them without getting cut to shreds and nettled to death by all the stuff in your garden. It will end up like a jungle in your garden. You have to tend the garden. You have to look after it. You have to watch over it. And like any garden, right, here's the thing. You can get your garden perfect. You can get rid of all the weeds in your garden. I went around the site this week at the beginning of the week and did all the weeds. We sprayed everything. So in in about a week and a half, they'll all be gone. But if I don't do anything, if we don't do anything on this site and just leave it, here's the problem, right? Our neighbors have got weeds. Their weeds will blow into our garden. 
Your neighbours have got weeds, and their weeds will blow into your garden, and they'll end up in your heart. It's making sense? And so it's, it's not a one-off thing, it's a constant thing. You constantly tend into the garden. You constantly spot in, there's a weed there and, and you're uprooting it. Now, in reality, we don't always do it all the time. Not even the best gardeners do it every single day. But, you know, the, the principle's still the same. You don't let it get out of hand. You look after it and you put the good things in. You put the good things in. You pull out the bad things, and guess what? If you just snap the head off the weeds, you know what they do, don't you? They just grow back. You have to get the root out. You have to pull the root out. And here's the other thing. In your heart, right, there will be plenty of weeds in your heart, just like in your garden. You could clean it up, and it could, you could kill every weed in there, dig the roots out, you name it, right? You could seal it off so that no weeds can come through the air by your neighbors or anything like that. You know what will happen over time? Weeds will still come up because they're hidden under the ground, and you don't know they're there. The seeds are there, they're just waiting to suddenly come up. And the same is with your heart. You'll tend it, you'll get yourself just right. Something will happen and you'll suddenly react in a way and you're thinking, why did I react like that? It's another weed that's in your heart that you didn't even know about. And it's suddenly just come up and then you have to deal with it and pull it out and uproot it. It's a constant process. It's not, and you might say to me, okay, Barry, listen, you know, I'm doing okay in life. I got here today, all right, and, you know, and work's going all right, and the career's going okay, and the kids are all doing okay, and, you know, and, and okay's okay, isn't it? But is that what you want your life to be, just okay? Is, is, are you okay with okay? I'm not okay with okay. Okay ain't okay to me. I want more than okay. I, I want to kind of do a little bit better than okay. I want to do a lot better than okay. And you might be the kind of guy that, or the kind of lady or girl or boy that finishes second. Second's good. If you've got second in the Olympics, that's a silver medal. That's pretty good. Second's great. And I'm not saying you should have to finish first every time and you should be the best at everything or anything like that. That's not life. That's not what it's meant to be. But some of you are always finishing second in every single aspect of your life. It's always second place. For some of you, it's not even second, second place. It'd be good. Some of you, it's bronze medal. You always get, some of you, you like bronze. Forget bronze. I just want to get on the podium. I don't even, that podium, I don't even know what it looks like. I've never been up there. I don't know what that's like. I don't even get a medal. I'm just kind of doing it and being told what to do. And, and if that's your life, if that's how you're always being and there's no, no area of your life where you're like, hey, this is, this is good. This is, this is me. This is what God's got for me. This is what I'm meant to be doing, where I'm meant to be going. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. You're doing okay but what about the elusive things? What about the dreams and the hopes that you try for and you fail? And you keep trying for it and you keep failing and you never ever get there. You never seem to sort it out. You never seem to get it. And you might say, well, you get so far and then you fail. And well, I got so far. Surely, well, I'm not responsible. It's just life. It's just I'm too short. I'm not tall enough. I wasn't born on the right side of the street. I didn't get the right GCSEs. I, is that your excuse? 
See, Messi's not tall enough. He was classed as not being... He nearly, the, the, he had, the guy who found Messi and brought him from Argentina to Barcelona had to fight and fight and fight and fight to get him there because he was too small. Best footballer in the world. He was too small. And I could go on with so many different examples. But the thing is, okay is not okay. It doesn't add up. What if, right, what if there was no such thing as too small? Or the wrong sex? Or the wrong height? Or the wrong skin colour? Or the wrong this? Or the wrong that? Or the wrong the other? What if there was none of that? What if you could actually do anything? What if anything was possible to you? What if anything, you could attain and achieve anything with your life? What if that was possible? And you might be saying to me, yeah, but that's not. Listen, Galatians 5, 13 to 14. Hopefully we get these verses up oh, so fast. So fast, Nathan. Quality work, mate. Because he only got them about an hour or two ago. That's typical of me. Yeah, if you ever do that projector thing and I'm preaching about half an hour, an hour before at most. Anyway, Galatians 5, right? It's not a good thing, by the way, so sorry. <laughs> Vicky loves the fact that she gets her scriptures in really early. Anyway. <laughs> Can't be good at everything. Anyway. <laughs> Galatians 5, 13, you're probably already halfway through reading it. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters as well. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't use your freedom for the flesh. You see, the goal isn't that we can do anything or we should do everything. The goal is that we can do anything that we're meant to do. Anything that you're meant to do, you can do it. You can do it. Anything that you're called to do, you can do it. Do you know that? You can do it. It's not that you should do anything. It's not that, oh, I, I, you know, a bit like Solomon, everything that looked good, I just took and, and, and I had it all. Solomon told us what happened about that. He wasn't happy with it. He had the money and the wealth and the power to have anything he could see. And at the end of it, he went, it was all useless. It was all meaningless. It was all pride. It's not that we should just have anything, do anything, be anything. But there are some things in life that you should be and do and have and, and, and put your heart to and your mind to. And you can do it. You can do it. The only real question is, should you? Because if you should, you can. Because Paul said, you can do all things the Bible tells us you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's why truth is so important, so valuable, more precious than almost anything else you could ever get hold of. The truth, the truth, the whole truth. Don't use your freedom for the flesh, he said. Did you notice that? 
Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, for your carnal desires, just to have all those, you know, prideful things. Now, hey, listen, I'm not saying you should never have something nice in your life. That's not what we're saying. It's don't abuse your freedom to just go and spend your whole life on you and you alone. I like a glass of wine every now and again. I like to have a drink every now and again, but you never see me drunk. I don't drink every night, and I respect people who don't drink. I like to watch the football, but it's not my obsession. I don't put it above my family or above God. Paul's saying, not only carnal. The flesh wants to feed itself and its own desires, but Paul's saying, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Think about your place in the world. Communicate with God's Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're saying to me, hey, Barry, but I don't know what it is that I should be doing. And that's where the Spirit comes in, but that's another sermon for another day. But that's where the Spirit comes in because the Spirit will communicate with your spirit and tell you what it is that God's got for you, for your life, who you are, what you're here for, why you exist, why you were created. But for the things and those of you that know and you're like, but there are some things that I know I should do and I just finish second every time. I just can't do it. The secret is in the heart. It's plain and simple. Can I read some scriptures to you? There's so many on the heart, right? I mean, Proverbs, I would encourage you to go away and read Proverbs. Too many for me to read them all, but I'm going to read quite a few here. And, and there's work involved. You know, if you notice what God did in Genesis, the, one of the first things, if not the first thing he gave for Adam and Eve was work to do. Then work to do. Tending the garden of your heart is a good thing. It was meant to be a pleasurable thing. There's profit in it. Everlasting profit. Eternal profit. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance. With all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 10.20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. It's like the Titanic. It'll take you to disaster and to destruction. Proverbs 11.29 says this, And whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fool will be servant to the wise of heart. There's profit in wisdom. There's profit in putting the good things in your heart, filling the garden of your heart with, with choice Trees and fruitful things, good things, keeping the weeds out when they come in. The backslider in heart, it was mentioned from the pulpit, touched on it before, I thought about this. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Wisdom, Proverbs 14, 33, rests in the heart of a man, of understanding. But it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. You know, you can learn from a fool. You're wise, you can learn from a fool. 
Proverbs 15, 13 says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Proverbs 15, 14 says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed only on folly. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man's plans, sorry, the heart of man, your heart, your heart plans your ways. It's the driver of your life. The things that you've allowed into your heart, notice said allowed, not put in there. The things that you've allowed in your heart, your mind is the gatekeeper of your heart. The things that you've allowed in, they drive your life. When you find yourself doing things and you're thinking, why did I do that? I was so stupid. It's because of the things you've allowed in your heart. 1623, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. You want to be a good communicator? You want to be able to explain the gospel to people or do well in work? Train your heart. Put the good things in. It'll come out. 25, the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water. The heart is deep, so, so deep. Just like the garden, it's so deep. How deep does that soil go? How deep are the, re- the, the, the weeds and the roots in there? But a man of understanding will draw it out. See, a good friend will draw out what's in your heart and he'll give you wise advice and counsel and help you. 20 verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. So deep the heart. None of us, can, just like you can't clean your, your garden of all the weeds, you can't do the same with your heart. But don't let it get out of hand. Don't let it get out of hand. 21.2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. God is interested in your heart in your heart. It's where your values and your standards are and God knows that that will be the thing that will direct your life. Is this helping anyone? 22.17, can I go on a bit longer? It's just all from the Bible, this. 22.17, it's entitled Words of the Wise. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. It's God, obviously. My son, 2315, if your heart is wise, and this is to my sons, this is to my sons. I was thinking of you two when I was reading this. My sons, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Learn from a good father. Learn from a good mentor. Learn from a good role model. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. 2719, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. Your heart is who you are. And you get to decide who you are. You're the gatekeeper of it. Your mind is the gatekeeper of it. 28.14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Has your heart become hard? Have you allowed your heart to be hardened? You will fall into calamity, that God says. But blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Fear God and allow him to soften your heart. Ecclesiastes 7.21, nearly done. 
Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Guard your heart. Don't allow in what everyone says. Don't allow in the fear that the the press and the government are putting in you. Don't allow it all in. Don't take it all to heart. Lest your heart, sorry, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Tend to a wise man. His heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Your heart, when you put the good things in, will keep you on the right path. Matthew 5, 8. Listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words. So powerful. So good. Blessed. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. 621. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 1234, talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When they said, Jesus, how will we know if they're good or bad? By their fruits. By their fruits. 1319, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The the parable of the, of the, um, the sower. The parable of the sower. It's the enemy that wants to steal the good seed and to snatch it away to take it from you, to stop it from getting into your heart. You've got to fight, you've got to work, you've got to tend the garden of your heart. You've got to look after what goes in. You've got to turn things off. You've got to watch what you're doing, watch what you're saying, watch the company you're keeping, who you're listening to, what you're taking in, what you're reading. 13, 19, Matthew 13, 19. Oh, sorry, sorry, last one. Uh, No, last but one. Matthew 15, 10 to 20. Got to read these last couple to end. It's entitled, What Defiles a Person? Listen to this, so powerful. And he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. Think about this for a moment. If you're a Christian in this place, Jesus is saying to you, hear this and understand this. Understand this. This is Matthew 15. Verse 11, he says this, he said, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. You're talking about the law, washing your hands, eating the different things, all of that stuff. I'm not saying we shouldn't hand wash in COVID, by the way. I think that's a healthy thing to do. Please, no one say, you know, that is a good thing to do. No issue with that. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. I used to tell my kids when they were growing up and they were getting bullied at school, not that they got bullied much at school, but someone said, you know, they all come home, don't they? Someone said this about me or that about me. So it doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. Right, and I know we've all heard that of sticks and stones and all of that, like, and that's not helpful. No, but it is when you, hopefully you'll agree when you put it this way. 
it doesn't matter what someone says about you. It's when you say it about yourself. It's when you say it about yourself. That's when it's got the power. That's when it has the power. You can negate anything anyone says by just under your breath, just going, no, I'm not. That's not me. I don't take that. I don't believe that. I don't subscribe to that. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up, be pulled up. Let them alone. In other words, leave them. Let the bullies get on with what they're doing. Just let them get on with it. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Verse 16, Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? I mean, Peter had spent like years with him at this point. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. If there's evil in your heart, you can root it out. You can stop saying it. You can stop speaking it out. You can stop living it. You can put the good in. You can tell yourself the things that negate it. For what comes out of the heart, or for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't wash our hands in COVID. Does not, or actually just generally wash our hands. You know, he wasn't saying you shouldn't wash your hands. That's a good thing, you know. (laughs) But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. And then finally, Revelation 2.23. Save the best till last. So you keep listening. You don't switch off. (laughs) And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Amen. Guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. God bless you.